guys. Welcome to Pick Me Up Pod. This is the podcast where we are destigmatizing everything and anything menstrual health. I'm Sophie. Welcome to the episode. I'm here with a wonderful friend, Amanda. She is a freelance journalist living in the New York City area. And as I'm sure you will hear in a second, is originally from Australia. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Amanda. Thanks so much for hopping on. How, how are you? Good, good. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Amanda and I originally connected over Twitter. She was writing a story about in, in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, what that means for data privacy within some of these period tracking apps. And I thought maybe this time I could be the one to ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> yes, excited. <laughs> the other way around, to have someone on the table to list the questions, put you on the other end of the seat. No, oh. but I promise this won't be me interrogating you about well, <laughs> you like tampons or menstrual cups better. Don't worry, this no, is. we can we can get a global lens on this issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, perfect. Well, I think a good starting place, and I actually have so many questions for you because I've had tons of people, mostly my friends, come on mm -hmm. the show that all have a variety of different backgrounds. I, one of my friends is Lebanese. One of my friends, her parents are Chinese. Mm -hmm. And so they all have different experiences and how uh, their family, uh, specifically their mothers, reacted to them getting their periods mm -hmm. in certain situations, their fathers as well. So I'd love to hear how that was in Australia. Where, where, where are you from actually in, in South Australia? Australia, Adelaide? I don't know if Adelaide. you know. Yeah. yeah. Nice. yeah. <laughs> I went to um... <laughs> a forgotten city. Everyone knows Melbourne, Sydney. It's kind of like the, I guess, the, comparable to Boston and New York. Like everyone just goes to the big cities. <laughs> totally. I actually went to university in London. So like a lot of my friends were from Australia. So yeah. I haven't gotten the chance to go, but I have a lot of friends from there and nice. I love, I love everyone. Oh, uh, good. You Australia. have to go. It's, it's beautiful. Well, I, I would love to hear, I guess your first experience with, you know, being a little kid and figuring mm -hmm. out what a period was like for the first time, like, where were you? What was that like? Were you shocked? <laughs> Yeah, I think I was in sixth grade, so I don't know what that is, elementary school maybe? I don't know, I was like 12. And I remember getting my period and I had no idea what it was. And and then it went away and I didn't. nothing ever happened for another six months. And I don't even know if I told anyone. Maybe I told my sister, just to sort of set the scene a little bit. My, my mum grew up with a father who was not like a mute, but basically there was no sort of chemistry there. And her mum was sick. So there's this like transgenerational, like lack of, you know, motherhood, that nurturing aspect. So she didn't get that from her mum. And then I didn't get that from my mum. So my family was always, you know, were always friends and my sister. So I think at that point, I just had no idea what it was. I'm like, what is happening to my body? And I don't even know if I, yeah, like I said, I, I think maybe I told my sister, but then I went away, it went away and then I got it the following year again. And that's when I actually got my period. But yeah, it just seems like this weird point in my life where I don't really have a lot of memories. It's very strange. Very strange. That's super, super interesting. I can definitely relate to a lot of what you just said in the sense that I also had a lot of, I guess, maybe to a lesser extent, but I think my upbringing around feeling comfortable talking about puberty and growing up and all the things that come along with it was like very uncomfortable talking about those things with my family. But that's very interesting. So you got it, I mean, sixth grade, but 
probably around 11 or 12. I think, or I, was 11. I, think I was 12. Yeah. And then all I remember is I got it and then nothing happened again. And then it came the next year and that's when I like officially got it. And I guess I was yeah. 13, 12 or 13 at that point. So yes. the end of primary school, which is your elementary school, I think. Yeah. Same for me. Well, when I first got my period, I was around that same, I think I was 12 and I didn't get it for another like six months or a year. And so I was like, okay, great. Like, this is it. Like, I'm good. Like, this is just the frequency that it's going to come. And then it came back like very reoccurring. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's really interesting. So you, did you grow up with, uh, was it just you or did you have siblings? Or? So an older sister and a younger brother. And I was always closer to my grandparents and just my parents. I've always just had a, a strange relationship with them. And there was just none of that emotional support. I remember when I started growing underarm hair, my friend told me like what a razor was or what a sh shaver was. And I just didn't even feel comfortable talking to that, talking about that to my mom, which is strange because, you know, we grew up, I grew up in a smaller town outside of the city, but it's not as if we were in some like remote area. Like, right. So there was just that lack of the mother figure, yeah. although I had a mother, that she wasn't able, I think, to mother her, to, to mother us because she didn't have that herself. So yeah. it wasn't intentional. It wasn't malicious. It's just she didn't have the capacity to have that vulnerability. And I think that then flowed on to us as kids. Absolutely. You really can only like reflect what you see. And even though when you're younger, you know, you go to school and you're exposed to a lot of different kinds of people and like maybe mm -hmm. you do sports or anything outside of that, really what you see in your family is like the core. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only thing that you're able to reflect. And I think it does take a lot of growing up and maturing to realize that the reason why our our parents acted a certain way that they did is they were doing the best for what they could mm -hmm. given their upbringing. And that's growing up, but that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So I've, Anyway, the, the idea for this podcast really sprung out of, I have these conversations all the time with my friends, um, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like these conversations are being had in a way that like are accessible to people that feel uncomfortable having these conversations. So like mm -hmm. the you that was 12 years old, <laughs> Amanda, or, or the me that was 12 years old, it would have been really nice to have access to open conversations with people talking about these stories mm. because then that some of that discomfort might have been alleviated leading to like years where shame wasn't as as big of a character in the picture absolutely but you're right there's such a shame piece to it because it just feels like this dirty like weird thing that's happening and then your mum doesn't talk to you about it and so you're, you're like just trying to navigate and thankfully I just have amazing friends that I've always attracted really good people so I just had I found like home through those people but yeah, it was it was a strange time that's for sure wow so you had no conception of what a period was before you had it Were you I'm trying to recall it because I just I think there's a part of me that blocked it out because it was slightly traumatic so yeah. maybe I understood that I was like becoming a woman or something but that was probably the extent of it I had no idea if it was like what I should do with it if if it was <laughs> like I had no education in that way so yeah, just kind of figuring it out. So that means that, and I'm sure it's in the same way that's incredibly different in the U.S., depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, 
any kind of sex ed or, or health class that you had growing up in school? Um, mm-hmm. Was that something that was taught at all or was that something that was not really? Yeah, we had a sex education class, but I think it was literally just like three classes. It wasn't really a, a, a course or anything like that. And that was in high school. So maybe year, t- year nine or something. So I was 14. <laughs> Yeah, it was ridiculous. And it was just like everyone's laughing. It was just. Yeah. No. I mean, I I was a bit of a late bloomer when it came to anything sex related. But Mm. by the time I was 14, I knew people that I grew up with that were already having sex. So to offer Mm. a sex ed class to to a bunch of of teenagers who are probably midway through puberty and Mm -hmm. where maybe 20% of them are like having sex already is like, you're a little bit too late there. (laughs) Totally. And then it just like births this rebellious culture where you just kind of like go too far because you have no idea what that line is and then also when you're like repressed in your home you just like do whatever you can just to explore so that's kind of what I did (laughs) yeah I I absolutely I can absolutely absolutely empathize with that um Mm -hmm. but I think going back to the first time that you got your period you were probably maybe had some understanding that that was or I'm sure subconsciously maybe you had seen a show or a movie or something mm-hmm. where that was a topic and you're like, okay, like this is me becoming a woman. But in terms of like accessibility, accessibility to any kind of products that you were using, were you mm-hmm. just like, I mean, I, I, I've like used my fair share of toilet paper wads. But... Yes, <laughs> definitely. Is that your go-to? It's so strange. Now we talk about that. Like I truly don't have many memories I think it was so traumatic I blocked it out which is like kind of frightening when I think about that I think I just relied on friends I mean I remember vividly my friend gave me a razor to shave my underarms but I don't remember her giving me a tampon or a pad I don't think I would have even understood how to put the tampon in like I just I I don't even know how we're meant to learn that (laughs) right but yeah I I think I think it was just from friends and they were kind of helping me, but I don't have a vivid memory, which is really scary. Yeah. I feel the same way. I felt like I was kind of left to, I, from my perspective, I had a class where we learned about what the period would be and mm. the age range in which you might get one. And, you know, we were sent home with like little packets of, you know, mm-hmm. like it was like pads and like deodorant and stuff like that. I think mostly because I probably saw this room full of sixth graders and didn't want us stinking up their classroom with BO. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I was also like, I mean, looking back at it now from, from an adult perspective, my mom definitely had told me what a period was, but in terms of having like that, like actual emotional support and being like, Hey, Mm -hmm. like what products do you want? Like, let's go shopping. Like that was never really the case for me i remember the second time i had a very similar cadence between the first time and the second time that mm-hmm. was described to me and the second time i got my period all my mom used were tampons so i was like okay i feel a little uncomfortable asking mm-hmm. um, and like you know whether or not you use tampons today or not the first time you use one especially when you're like 12 you're like that's really scary it's super like, <laughs> oh my God, I was like confronting I it's really confronting and it's also the thing where you grow up and like, you don't even, I don't think that I even knew that I had a vagina. Yeah, exactly. I did, I did not even know I had a vagina. I knew I had, I knew I peed out of somewhere and I knew that I needed to take a shit. 
Like, <laughs> it comes somewhere from there. <laughs> something, something needs to come out of me on a regular basis. And mm. then realizing that there's this whole other body part where not only I need to now really maintain it when I am having a period, but also that there is a huge, this huge concept of shame around it, whether that comes mm-hmm. to virginity, it comes yeah. to all of these things. And it's like, it's a body part that I've never even explored for myself. And before I was even allowed to even, or not allowed, but I mean, from a societal standpoint, I guess you could mm-hmm. say allowed, but before I was even, even had an understanding of what a vagina was, there are already all these ideas that other people had placed on my vagina. Totally. Versus, <laughs> versus and I, I, there's a lot of shame around, you know, like boys and like penises and all this stuff too. But I think that like boys, I'm sure by the time they hit 12 or 13, I'm sure they've like explored their penises. Yeah, definitely. No? Definitely say that. Yeah. <laughs> they've explored their penises to a certain extent. But I don't know. It's just so the dissonance between growing up as a girl and being like, oh, like I have a whole organ that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You feel kind of like very much so lied to. Totally. And then there's something coming out of it and you're like, what is going on? And then you have no idea how to even control it and how often it happens. And and also everyone's different. So there's no real, you know, feedback system. Yeah. And did you have, yeah, you mentioned that you had a lot of friends that, you know, you had a friend that gave you a razor and was, you know, kind of like, telling you about some of these things where do you think that or maybe you know maybe you don't but Mm -hmm. it seems like some of your friends maybe had a source where that information was coming from do you think that maybe your friends were having those kinds of conversations with their parents and like did you find that those the conversations you had with them were like helpful for you totally yeah the the friends I had were amazing to me Um, and I think yeah I think they probably got that information from parents or siblings, but probably yeah. parents. Yeah, I don't know. I just always felt like my parents were like really ancient. They like, they weren't at all in tune with culture and society and yeah. what was happening in their kids' lives. Like it was just there was just something missing there. So, so yeah, I think she, my mum, didn't have the capacity to have those conversations. So then, yeah, yeah I seek them elsewhere essentially. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot, a lot of the information and a lot of the, the, whether it's, you know, like medicinal facts that we have about periods, like they aren't necessarily passed down like Mm -hmm. through generations. Like my mom, like never really like taught me any like tricks about my period or like all any of these things. It's kind of like, I feel like all this information lives in just like a void within each of us. And like, we don't really like share any of the stuff, but I don't know. I just like, as I grew up and when I was younger, my period didn't necessarily bother me. I definitely had friends that, you know, had to go to the hospital because they were mm-hmm. in some pain and all this stuff. But I first started really having to confront this idea of like, oh, I have a period and like no one's really talking about it when I had a really bad reaction to an oral contraceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh, that was so common too. Yeah, that, that a doctor had recommended for me. So I'm wondering at what point between you, you know, getting that first period and being like terrified and having no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and today, at what point did you discover what birth control was and like what kind of effects? Like, did, did you have you ever taken any birth control? And if mm. so, what was your first? Yeah, what, what was your first time where you got to know it? Yeah, I think I, I was in high school. I don't remember the moment I 
found out about it, but I just, I think I just learned that there was something that I could take, that I could control my period, skip it. And when I was young, I had bad acne. I don't, I guess every teenager does, but I just, I had really bad acne and I couldn't control it. And so I actually wanted to go and I ended up going on the, on the pill just for vanity reasons Mm -hmm. to control my acne. And, and I was on it for 10 years from 16 to 26. I'm 34 now. Yeah. And just ended up going off of it for no reason, but why am I on this thing? Because yeah. like at that point I was in a same-sex relationship and it's just like, yeah. I don't need this thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was truly for vanity reasons. And, and then again, I had no, like, no mom telling me. I mean, she was there, but she didn't say, hey, like, do we really know, do you really need to be on this? Are you having yeah. sex? <laughs> yeah. And yes, I was, but whatever. Like, right. I certainly didn't need to be on it. I think that's so, it's interesting because I went on, so I went on the, the first time I tried taking an oral contraceptive, I was 19. It was around the same time where I, you know, was first starting to have sex. Now, you know, I wanted to be the responsible 19 year old that I thought I was at the time and do what everyone else, do what everyone else was doing and, and go on the birth control pill. And I also mainly went on it because at the time I had horrible, horrible cystic acne, which I'm Mm. sure was caused by some kind of hormonal fluctuations. I didn't actually start having acne until I was like 19, 20. Mm. And then it got really, really, really bad. About a year ago, I actually went on Accutane for it because I was like, I'm like, am I, I'm like 26. I can't, Mm. I can't do this anymore. Like, but I also went to the doctor and she was like, I was like, yeah, I haven't been on birth control before. Like, I just want to try something. I don't mind taking a pill every day. Like, let's just start there. Mm-hmm. It's the whole concept. Like, an IUD scared the shit out of me. And yeah. Yesterday. yeah. Oh, nope. Nope. No, 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 no. Nope. <laughs> Especially when I was 19. And they were like, okay, great. And the only thing that they said to me was, this will make your skin, well, this will tear your skin up. And I was like, that's the only thing you need to tell me. Like, done. Absolutely done. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I went on it and I had like, like, the whole half of my body went numb. Like I had to go to what? the like, oh my I gosh. Having, like, but I had no idea. Like I thought my skin was just supposed to be glowing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people that I talk to and okay, I, I do want to say, I think I have a lot of friends who love their, their birth control pill. I have a lot of friends that love the, the IUD and like things that work for them. Mm-hmm. So nothing that I'm ever saying is like, bashing or against birth control, I think it's amazing. And I think it's one of the most incredible inventions that have been able to free women sexually in the last Mm -hmm. hundred years. Totally. But at the same time, I think there's so much misinformation given by doctors. And I think what complements that is such a lack of empowerment in terms of information on behalf of women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, there were a lot of things that I knew about my family history going in that this doctor didn't even ask me. Like my grandmother had, you know, passed away from having a blood clot like a couple years prior Mm. like all these things which like probably if they had listened to the full story they might have been hey like maybe there's a couple of other different options or maybe we give you a lower hormonal dose or i I don't know what they could have done i'm not a doctor none of this is medical advice by any means but there's so many other things that that could have been done in that scenario and yeah no i just feel like no one is like really talking about it, but I'm blind. <laughs> yeah. But you mentioned, so you mentioned going on it. So you were on it for 10 years. Yeah. From 2016 20, to 26, I think. And it started for acne. And then I'm like, you know what? And it wasn't like, it was 
it was bad, but I've, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought. And then it, that cleared up and then I just stayed on it. And I skipped my period so much just because it was convenient. Like I was traveling to Europe or I was like, whatever, lazy, going to the beach. And so I, sometimes I didn't have a period in six months just because I was like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. I just, the damage I probably did to my body is just frightening. Do you um, find that that... Sorry, I didn't mean... Go, no, go. no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you find that... So one of the biggest reasons... So I had that birth control scare and then I tried it again with like a different pill because I had a long-term partner at the time and I was like tracking my cycle and I thought mm-hmm. I was being safe, but like it does take a lot of effort and time to like take your basal body temperature do all these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, condoms kind of meh all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried it again. I had very similar results. Mm-hmm. And then in the last couple of years, my periods have gotten increasingly more painful, mm, which has not always been the case. And, you know, I'm talking to my mom about it. I'm like, it just, it's, it's getting like really bad. Like it's to the point where I have anxiety all month because like, what if I'm going to going on a trip during those two days? Or like, what if, what if I have like a really important work meeting? Like, I feel like I can't necessarily be my best when I'm mm-hmm. on my period. And so I decided to try out the Nuva ring, which is like a hormonal little ring that you stick up there mm. and uh, I went on it for for painful periods it like didn't end up working for me like made me really depressed and then it it like fell out without me knowing and I had to go oh, to my end and I was like find it like I think it's stuck inside me like just like find it I think it definitely fell out at one point but do you did you feel like you were skipping periods to to avoid pain or was it more the annoyance of like having to like deal with something extra yeah it was for the convenience which is even worse <laughs> just because I was lazy and that's another part like yeah. if I had the full understanding of what I was really doing to my body then I wouldn't have done it yeah and then I just wake up one day and I was like why am why am I on this thing I have I don't really need it I don't really like relying on something yeah and so I just went off of it cold turkey wow and how what, how, how long ago was that? Have so that been... was, I think I was like 26. Okay. So yeah. five, six, so I'm just, just turned 34. Yeah. So yeah, eight years ago, so a while ago. Wow. Interesting. But so you were on it for body for a like... while to re- to readjust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like my, and I, I don't know if this is still the case, but my, and I've been talking about this a lot actually lately, whether my period was always light and whether it was just the the pill was masking that or if the pill changed it. Because I got a lot of tests done after I went off of it and I I wasn't ovulating. I was really, my periods were basically non-existent. I had really low estrogen levels and yeah, I should get that test done again because I haven't done it in a while. But yeah, so it's just like, then I just become distant from my body because I have no idea what's really happening to it. So it's just very strange. It's strange. And it really does have such an effect on your mood. And I think sometimes it does. I mean, the thing that was told to me when I started this Nuva ring like a couple of months ago, I went on it because one of my, one of my good friends slash coworkers was like, yeah, I really like it. I've been using it for years. And she was like, yeah, like you'll be depressed for a month. And I like, I made it. And I'm like normally like a pretty like light person. Like it's not my natural Mm -hmm. tendency. And I went on it for two and a half weeks and I was like, I actually can't do this. Like it was really, really bad. And I think what happens is I think oftentimes it's from the standpoint of best intentions. I think Mm -hmm. parents, especially like 
parents of, of, of people who have periods will put their daughters on, on birth control, you know, at like 15, 16 thinking, you mm-hmm. know, like, I don't want, you know, in case like they're out having sex, like just no, no teenage pregnancies, mm-hmm. like fair totally. enough, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, it's interesting because my grandmother, she had my mom when she was 18. I mean, this was wow. in like, wow. the sixties, pretty, pretty young for that time. Like not, not nothing, not crazy, mm-hmm. but she did not want the same thing for my mom and my, her, my mom's sister. And so she put my mom on birth control and my mom, like it made her really depressed, depressed, mm-hmm. she had like weird side effects. And like my mom wasn't just like, was never a big fan of it. And so then when I got my period, like that was not like something that she put me on i mean Mm -hmm. i wasn't having sex (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it really does um after i had like a birth control scare i read this book it's called i think it's just called the pill but it it tracked stories of women who had taken birth control for like six eight or even in some cases 10 years like you Mm -hmm. and they had so many symptoms of like depression and, and things that they were struggling with mentally mm-hmm. that they, you know, they were on antidepressants, they were on different mm-hmm. anti-anxiety medications and all, you know, things that are very needed in, in a lot of scenarios. But sometimes the, the, the foundational reason for why people are, are feeling a certain way is like, is not really assessed. And mm-hmm. I think that it's just super important to know that a lot of these drugs that we're taking have a lot of unintended consequences and they don't necessarily need to be like master layered with a bunch of other drugs that we're taking. Mm-hmm. But did you feel, did you feel mood wise different after you came off of 10 years? And if so, like how long do you, do you feel like it took for you to like stabilize your yeah, good question. I didn't notice so much from the emotional standpoint. I think I just felt like liberated finally, which is like counterintuitive, right? I felt much better. And I think at that point I was starting to get really interested in just like natural therapies and just not using a lot of crap on my body and everything like that. So I just had an interest in that. So yeah, mood wise, I was fine. I think physically it was just, everything was just off kilter. I think I put on weight. I just felt like the skin was bad again, not as bad as when I was young, but mainly the period thing. I just had no period. It was like blocked. Really? That's how it felt. How, yeah. How long, how long before you like had, had a period or if, if you even got one? It, I had one, but it was so light. It was basically like non-existent. Yeah. Now it seems to have leveled out and I'm pretty yeah. regular, but it's still light. And again, I don't know whether this is a, a cause of the pill or if this is just always how I've been. And it, yeah. that was masked by the 10 years being on it. Right. I'm not sure. Very interesting. I've also, I think a lot of issues with periods and the last time I went to an OBGYN, they did like a sonogram on me and they found that I had like a, like a grapefruit size fibroid on my uterus, oh, no. which is scared me when I first heard that. Cause the first thing I did was what is a fibroid into my phone. It said the nine tumor. And I was like, that sucks. And it's really mm. scary, but it's very common. 60 to 70% of women will yeah. do fibroids in their lifetime. I was like, they were like, oh, like, do you have really painful and happy periods? I was like, yep, they've gotten worse. And they're like, oh, it's because your fibroids are growing. And one of the biggest reasons or one of the contrib- contributing factors for the growth of fibroids is actually a higher presence of estrogen in mm. the body. And then I was like, okay, have I ever gotten like, 
actual like blood work as far as my hormones go. And then I thought back when I was 19, I had to get some blood work done and they like very offhandedly told me, oh, you have a hypoactive thyroid, like your thyroid mm. is overactive, which would mean that my body is like not necessarily creating too much estrogen, but it's like not creating enough progesterone to balance it out. So I have like a huge estrogen, which means I'm like having super painful periods and all these symptoms, Mm. which isn't necessarily caused by anything wrong with like my vagina or with that entire, with my sexual organ structure, but would rather have to do with the fact that I probably might be a little bit insulin resistant or like the foods I'm eating are like really shitty or like, I'm mm-hmm. drinking too much. My diet sucks and all these things. Yeah. Like, but all those things like totally affect it. Mm-hmm. And this probably happened about a month ago. And since then, I mean, I don't eat like I still like to go out to, to bars and do all those things. <laughs> yeah. But I have started to eat a lot less sugar. Mm-hmm. And this actually, I started my period yesterday. This was the least painful period that I have had in like two years. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. I'm so interested in, in this sort of stuff, the connection, all these connections. And like, like this morning I, w- I was like, oh no, because I went, I just came back from a work trip and I, I was like, I knew, I knew, I had a feeling it was going to start and it started at the end of my work trip. So I was like, first of all, thankful. And I was like, the next two days are just going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And like, this is day two of my period, which for me, the worst, like on usually like the last couple of years, it would be like heating pad, mm-hmm. text my boss. I have to work from home. Any plans I had like this, I probably would have canceled because I'm like, I can, like, don't, I don't, I want to, I need to be horizontal with my laptop on my mm-hmm. stomach watching something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt like very fine today. And I was like, oh my God, like all of these things. And I think healing is so much more accessible than, mm-hmm. and so much more in our power than we think it is. And for the longest time I was so, I felt like so unempowered and I felt like my menstrual cycle had so much power over me in terms of, you know, there were going to be two days where I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to like go to any meetings or like do any of these things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I'm reporting back after one month of like eating very, I wouldn't like definitely, definitely not restrictive. I will Mm -hmm. have like low carb, I would say, which is like mm-hmm. completely different from what I like usually eat. Like before, like I made this kind of switch, I was eating like, like very vegetarian, like pasta, like every night, every day, yeah. like the kind of stuff that I love to eat and like very low in like protein and meat. Mm-hmm. And, um, now I've just been eating more like fish and like vegetables. And I will say the first week that I did it, I was so fucking like, just like, exhausted and annoyed and i was like i was like after every meal that i would have i'm like i'm not satisfied yeah even though i'm like full like i, I ate a, like i would eat like tons of like chicken and salad and all this stuff i'm like i'm not i'm pissed um, <laughs> but then after honestly it took me like 10 days and i was like oh like i don't feel like an insane amount of like craving for like, I don't the body anything. adjusts doesn't it yeah it totally adjusted and now i'm like yeah, I, I'm coming off of a couple of days of like eating like not amazing, but I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't have to eat amazing every day to like feel the effects of like what it can have on your body. And that none of that involved me like having to like take hormone, hormonal birth control. None of that mm-hmm. involved me needing to necessarily like take a, take a bunch of things or get an IUD or any of this stuff. 
But uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like in, in your journey, you just mentioned that you, you know, were looking into more like holistic ways of, you know, mm -hmm. treating your body and any of this. At what point did like coming off the pill come up in that? I think that was a, a just a natural decision. It just kind of came up on that. I'm like, why am I on this thing? And then I just, yeah, quit. And I think from from memory, all the doctors said, just go back on it if you've got no period or if you've got very low estrogen, just go back on it. And that was their response. And I'm like, hell no. And it was just like you said, just experimenting and just yeah. trusting my body and just letting it find its equilibrium yeah. again. And it takes years, to be honest. And it goes against the narrative of what we're told around, especially in America, like pharmaceutical, just take this, you'll be fine. It's just... And, you know, it's the same in Australia, but not to that extent. Yeah, yeah like self-healing isn't necessarily encouraged, nor is it lucrative financially for the powers that be. So I think the most <laughs> liberating thing you can do is know when you need the help. And I'm not, again, turning against all that, but just exploring it yourself. Yeah. I think also going to having gone to enough doctors and enough different doctors where a lot of them weren't the best. But, you know, at the time you're like... I've always seen, but again, I love doctors. I'm so glad they exist. People, mm -hmm. like if you're listening, please continue to go to medical school. Please do. But I've gone more than to, ever. More than ever, absolutely. I've gone to enough doctors where I, you know, trusted their first opinion. Even this last doctor that I went to, she was like, I was like, oh, like what can I do about the fibroid? She was like, well, we're, we'll put you on hormonal ther hormonal therapy. Like we'll put you back on the birth control. I was like, but I just said that I had a really bad experience with it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, then after you're done having babies, we'll just take your uterus out. And I was like, that's so, I was like, mm. I was like, that's so, I never mentioned having kids. Exactly. That's just so. I was like, okay. And I said, I said, ma'am, print out the sonogram and send me on my way. Like I'll, I'll put down my copay. I'm like, there's just so many, like you have, like, I also had to come to this realization that a lot of doctors and, and nurse practitioners, like they're all just people also at the end of the day, like yeah. there's amazing, amazing doctors. And then there's doctors that are like, you know, trying to get you in, in and out. And mm -hmm. I actually, I actually saw this on TikTok today. It was like, it's funny actually how many doctors have TikTok. <laughs> but really? There's this one doctor and he was like talking about how, I mean, I've never gotten an IUD insertion because I'm a huge, I got I'm so, when it comes to medical stuff, I'm like, but so many of my friends have passed out. Like, this is the most painful thing I've ever gone mm. through. People who were like, I've given birth to three children and this was the worst pain. And he was like, it's actually insane that we don't offer women even a local anesthetic for IUD insertion. One of my friends, she was telling me when she mm. went to go get hers in, she, they like sat her like in a waiting room and they were like, like in and out and she was like what she passed out when they were putting it in and they were like they were like yeah you need to like your point was over like it's just like it's insane like the amount that that's we don't, crazy yeah the amount that we don't honor or, or like the pain that especially women is even worse for women of color mm -hmm. um in the in the medical system like your pain just like is you just like being like week basically yeah everything's such a transaction it's crazy i did notice that when i first moved here i've been to a few doctor's appointments lately mainly for like digestive pains and it's just crazy i mean there's just this 
Yeah, everything just seems like a transaction. Everything just seems so corporate and so sterile. Yeah. There's no space for exploration and conversation at all. Yeah. And that's not their problem. It's the system's problem of the system. But yeah, people are making huge decisions around their bodies and not getting the support they need. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I definitely know people that like, they love their IUDs, like they don't never get a period. And they're like, yeah, I don't even know it's there. And I'm like, those people I'm like, <laughs> very jealous of. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like, so many people have had like, they have to get them taken out. And I'm like, I just like the thought of having something like stuck inside me, like terrifies I me. I could not I, do that. It just, it just, it absolutely terrifies. I can't even have eye drops in. Like I'm that to that point. I'm like, no, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> thank God touch wood. My period's not so bad. So <laughs> I'm totally the same way. Like I couldn't even, I don't think I could even put in contacts. Like I'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I could neither. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Amazing. But thank you so much for coming on. Of course. I um, hope I've been, and, uh, you've been a little. <laughs> I, it was so great to get like, it's always very interesting to get perspectives on, you know, how families have, have treated periods and all these things. And I like, I would love for there to be in the future, a world where like, when you get your period for the first time, like you get like a party thrown for you. Yes. It needs to be yeah. a celebration for sure. Yeah, You get like a party thrown for you. And like someone like holds your hand is like, this is what you do. Like if I ever have kids, I'm going to be like, this is like, here's all the products. Same. Like, they, like, this is what you do. Like, I'm like, I don't know why. And I, I, I know the answer why, like, it's because this is a shameful topic for mm-hmm. whatever dumbass reason. Like this is a shameful topic. And like, that's the reason why our mothers weren't able to like, go through all of this with us but it's like all this knowledge just gets lost because mm-hmm. of the construct of shame but yes so fascinating but so yes fascinating. inspiration for when we have kids <laughs> yes but wonderful is there any anything you want to plug before we hop off any articles like any any places you'll be up and coming well always down for catch-ups and coffees in new york hopefully we can catch up some what else what else yeah just I'm doing a lot of reporting on like women and women's health and women's data and all of that. So I've got some stories coming out. So maybe follow me on Twitter. It's just Amanda, capital A, capital S, writer so with a capital W. Amazing. Well, thank you so much um, no for hopping on and we will catch you guys next time.